So how you deal with expectations? I think that was the question. <laughs> that was the question. Let me know when you when it's is it recording? Brilliant. Um, expectations. Well, like I say, I've had quite a lot of expect expectation over the years. Um, you know, my father as an, my father as an example. Um, used to always tell me ever since I was young, you know, if you don't achieve what I've achieved, you're a failure. It's a, you know, here's what I've done, go and beat it. Um, and that's something that stuck with me for quite a while. And it's something that my grandfather passed down to my dad in the form of my dad used to, whilst he was, you know, competing for Great Britain, he would win a silver medal or a bronze medal. My grandfather would basically tell him to bin it or get rid of it, stating that, you know, a silver medal just meant that you were first in a long line of losers. So something my dad always kept near and dear to him, and as a result, it was passed down to myself and my brother. And obviously, my brother wasn't the sporty one. My brother was the academic. I was the athlete. I was the sporty one. So I obviously went into the whole sporting thing. I was told by my dad, if I didn't compete in a world championships and represent Great Britain, then uh, I, would, I would not have beaten him. So it got to the point where I eventually uh, started competing in lots of different sports, different levels, racing racing for Bradford, playing rugby for Yorkshire, playing rugby in different countries, playing sevens rugby at a very good level, um, playing football at, again, an academy level and things like that. And it was until I moved to rowing and paddling that I then Know, started racing for Team GB, still wasn't enough. Then I went to a World Championship, and the minute I came back from there, I took my uh, GB jersey off and put it on his lap and went, there you go, is that enough? And that's the very first time that I heard off of him that was actually proud of me. So we talked about expectations. So being like how, second how, how does it feel when, when he said that he's proud? I won't lie. I won't lie. I, I got back into my car and was uh, drove around the corner and cried. <laughs> I it might sound you know petty, it might sound like sad or thing, but you know this is something. Yeah, but like that, it's something you know, that you have been working towards like pretty much all your life. So. Well, yes, but I never thought it'd mean as much as it did to me, as what it felt like in that moment. Saying the words, you know, I'm proud of you, made, made kind of, you know, cemented the idea of, yeah, he does care for me, does, you know, all the rest of it. Because my dad is not a sentimental person, not an emotional person. So neither my brother or myself would hear hear anything like that ever. So to finally hear it was obviously brilliant. So. Did that affect you moving forward? Uh, not really. Not really, to be fair. My father, my my father's relationship with mine is extremely rocky at best. Um, so, you know, we'd we'd have you know ups and downs and the rest of it. But his opinion never really after after that after that our relationship broke down quite a bit. And after that, since then, his opinion hasn't really mattered that much to me in the scientist. So, so like, does it affect the? I don't know. Like before, maybe your motivation might have been like to beat him like what is your motivation now that you have right. beaten him or like 
my motivation now is I don't know. It's more. It's to win tangible medals. It's to win trophies, win medals. You know, to be at a fill up trophy cabinets, that kind of thing. I want to be the person that is remembered for that sport, for being good at that sport. How did you even get into that sport? <laughs> um, accidental. The irony. Um, my, I call him my manager. He's like a really, really good friend and mentor and coach, and the list goes on of what he actually is to me. Um, but he's called John John Galt. Um, just by accident, just by one day, he came to the centre which I worked at, which is Doe Park Water Activity Centre in Bradford, and goes, you know, I need paddlers for this nationals, this national event, it's Dragon Boat Race. I'm like, you know, and I'd done some, I'd done bits of coaching, but only with primary schools inside the centre, you know, tiny, all the tiny tots and the rest of it, having them race each other and doing bits and pieces like that. And it's fun. By no means was I a paddler. By no means was I good. I was shocking. Looking back on this now, I was cringeworthy shocking. <laughs> and he just turned around and he said, I need bodies. I need bodies to fill the boat. Like, you know what? I like you. I'll help you. So I jumped in the boat quickly. You now I got this quick 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 tutorial how to paddle what's the best this what's the best that and it's like okay fair enough we went to nottingham down like i think he drove me down that year actually i think went down there we had parties it was brilliant it was grand and then we raced and oh my god i felt out of my depth and we raced and we got we won a medal i think actually we won a medal we won a medal i think it was um and it was like it was like a cons consolation medal um, we won like the lower band kind of thing. <laughs> and it's like, okay, it was okay. And then GB approached approached me and one of my friends who was there, um, who was racing with me. And they approached us. I don't think it was because we were any good. I think it's because we were the correct age they were looking for. Because we were just starting this under 24 squad. And we got approached, and we got approached mainly because, again, John, put in like a good word for us and all of a sudden it attracted the the, two, the um coach matty and he came over he had a word we got given a card for the training you know do you want to be this all right i was like okay yeah i'll give it a go and i started working with john i joined a club a club was created in bradford at doe park called bradford barracudas very very good well-established club and I had my boss there as well because I worked at the reservoir itself. I had Louise Clark there help, um, who helped me and mentor me as well. And, you know, it grew from that, you know. Eventually, myself and John, we switched clubs. We kept, we built our own club, which is my which is the club I'm a part owner in now. Wait, so how do you Shards. build a club? With You're just telling it as it's like a casual thing to do. <laughs> now we well, just build a club. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can't take credit for it. I, I, I offer my services, but John Goll and Dan Windsor both built the club. So Dan Windsor supplied the boat. So the boat is not cheap by any means, I say. You're looking at £10,000 for a brand new boat, kind of thing. Lots of money to talk about. You need buoyancy aids that cost money, paddles, insurance, coaching qualifications, all the rest of it. It all costs a lot of money. So Dan brought that to the side of it. John brought the fact of the experience. John 
a six-time world champion world champion in the sport, a two-time world record holder in the sport as well. I apologise if he watches if he watches this or when he watches this, and I've got the credentials slightly wrong. Um, it could be more, it could be less. You know, I, I can't remember. <laughs> um, so yeah, I had it. Yeah, he brought that expertise, that you know, experience with him and that drive with him. So that mixed with Dan Windsor as well. And then I was kind of like the final piece of the puzzle. It was, I'm a local boy. I'm based here. I'm based here in Bradford. I'm a York, Yorkshire boy. You know, John is from Liverpool. Dan from Southampton. You know, they're not going to come up to train trainers all the time. They can't. It'd be unfair to ask. So I became that piece of the puzzle where I could train them and get training for myself at the same time. So we formed a kind of three-way partnership into the, cl- into the club, created the club, um, Officially, it's been created. Officially, it's created this year, but it did exist last year. Um, but then, once we got committee members, so I got some amazing committee members who have done absolute wonders for the, for the club and the sport. So, I, uh, I'm not going to say last names because I really can't pronounce them because they are foreign. <laughs> they are foreign. Uh, one is French, Sophie. She is now the captain of our of our boats. Very, very determined you know, uh, lady. Another one, Alicia. She's German and she's very, very great paddler as well. There's other people to mention in that, but you know that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to big up my club and represent kind of thing. I'm here to answer the questions. Uh, but that's how we formed the club. And we're still forming it now. We're still in the middle of, you know, gaining uh, grants from places because we don't have our own facilities. So we don't have toilets changing and all the rest of it. But that's where we're at modern right now. So that's how we created the club. But like I say, all my whole career in this sport has to be put down to kind of two people kind of thing. I wouldn't have started the sport itself, the coaching for primary school children if it wasn't for Louise Clark and the help of Bradford Council at Dave Clark. But I wouldn't have become a paddler and started representing Great Britain if it wasn't for John Goll and Matty both helping and aiding me to get into it. By the sound that I'm speaking their names quite a lot, I do that mainly because this is my kind of way of showing respect back to the people who help make me what I am. I'm under no illusions that I would not be here if it wasn't for yeah. aid that I've had around. I mean, like, I wouldn't be where I am with the university if it wasn't for, you know, the aid of, like, yourself <laughs> and a few other people along the way. I'm very much re- respectful and grateful of the people who have aided me. But, yes, that's how I created the club. That's how, I, that's how we started the club. That's where I started from. That's how I got into it by a crazy accident, and here we are, six years later, something like that. It's, all... it's now sourcing and stuff. So. Oh, one thing is that you tell about like sport, then like creating a club, then like something else. But how do you do all at once? Because like you're <laughs> studying, you're like working, training, building something on the side. So like, how do you actually manage to do like everything? at the same time well believe it or not my time management is abysmal it is absolutely shocking you'd find better time management from a fox that's caught between eating and sleeping i have shocking time management i'm late for this i'm late for that i'm you know early for this but then late for that you know, i'm really bad i'm really bad for it um or have been but i'm working i'm working but 
I don't know. Again, it's the fact that it all has means to an end, to end kind of thing. You know, I'm quite lucky that in this particular sport, I'm able to take pay, a payroll, a paycheck from it. I'm able to make money from this through whether it's through uh, coaching, whether it's through aiding with the club. I'm able to take a, a cut. I'm able to be able to make a wage. Um, so that goes towards a greater goal of mine. And then obviously with the side businesses that you've that you mentioned as well, that's extra money as well that I can make as well on top of it. Obviously, studying leads to a potential of me getting a better job. What else? So again. <laughs> more income and obviously me working full-time working the 50 hours a week again that's income again to for a bigger goal the bigger goal for me is obviously i want my own property i want a house i want to feel secure and i want to be able to build more things within the within my current club and take them onto the international stage with me so how you manage it like you said you don't have like the best time management skills but like how do you actually manage it all I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a timetable. There is no timetable scribbled out somewhere. There is yeah, no well, that's exactly why I'm asking because, like, I think many times when it comes to somebody who is doing so many things, people would assume that, like, you have you're like super organized, like you know everything by minute and stuff like that. But like, you're not like that. So, how you actually make it work? <laughs> well, my day-to-day schedule is more of a case of. I come home, I sorry, I start, I wake I wake up seven in the morning, sometimes half six, half five, depending on what time I work. Whether I'm working at seven AM or eight AM, depends on what time I get up. Get up, breakfast, tea, all the all the business. Go to work. And savvy thing that I've been doing, I think it's savvy anyway, is whilst I've been doing university work, every break and lunch I get, I'm on my laptop. I'm doing my university work. That's what I've been doing. Now I'm back to using bits of my side business. So I'm taking you know, golf clubs with me. I'm cleaning up golf clubs. I'm posting them online. I'm doing PT sessions. I'm doing all the rest of it whilst I'm at, whilst I'm at work. So that's I'm still technically earning. But you do PT I, sessions while you are working? Well, I write them up. Oh, okay. So I write, so I write, so again, I'm still on the laptop, but I'm, I'm writing up, you know, nutritional plans for people. I'm writing up uh, PT um, instructions for people, online sessions, um, training for my club and everything else. I'm doing that in these lunch breaks. So it's done. So when I get home, I don't have to revisit these. I finish about work something past four, something past five sometimes, depending again. I'm home. First thing I do is eat every time eat and then whilst I'm waiting for the food to go down before I can train um you know I'm doing some clubs up I'm selling golf clubs I'm selling them the best and making sure I can get some money that way because once they're up they're up if people buy them the next day the next week doesn't matter my bit's done they're clean they're ready to go they're ready to go then after the once I've done that food settled I'm training I'm training so usually when I'm in full swing of things I train for two hours on the water in my single boat and I train two hours gym. Obviously, COVID measures mean I have to do the gym session in my room, which means I can't lift heavy, heavy weights as I'm in an attic. But like gyms are open now. Well, now they are. Right now they are, but I've only just finished university work. But before, well, back before, before COVID measures, before all that stuff, back when I was at university, is back is before COVID measures. That's how long ago we're talking now. 
my my day-to-day schedule was I worked at Beer Keller. Um, mm. So I did university, university, go lectures and everything else. I'd come home, do my university work, then go to work at night to do my university, my uh, Beer Keller working job, a bar job. After that, straight away from midnight, I'm going to the gym for two hours. Two and a half hours, I'm in the gym in the morning. I loved that because nobody's there. I've got all the equipment to myself. I can do what I want. So what time was it that you were in the gym that there was nobody? From something about half 12, one o'clock, all the way through to about three in the morning, I was Uh, there. I I had times when I was waking up and going at like three and there was nobody. And I was like, oh, even like at 4 a.m. there's nobody. But I wouldn't like stay up. I would be waking up early. So a bit opposite. (laughs) I'm I'm a night person. I'm not a morning person. I'm a night person. So I'm the person, yeah. I'm technically also a night person. <laughs> I wake up at like three. So. <laughs> but yeah, like True. I get what you mean. I, I mean, I go all the way. I go all the way through. Like, I make sure everything's done. Like this is kind of like a deal I've got with myself. I don't sleep till everything I want to have done that day is done. If that means I'm doing an all nighter, which is not healthy and not recommendable, I'm still doing it. I've so how you how you come up work. with things you have to do that like that day i set the high expectation for myself like so, do you have a the, list or like how you know do you just have it in your head no i have a mixture in my head and a tick list so if it's okay. university based it's a tick list because if i write it down it's set in stone so that means um if i do my dissertation my intro has to be done before i go to bed or before i start something else so i have a list so as an example i would have you know get on from work at five o'clock from five o'clock all the way through now, this is what's got to be done. The introduction has to be completed. I have to train and I have to I have to get one set of clubs done. I can't go to bed till it's done. Whether that means I go to bed at three in the morning or whether it means that I go to bed at 10 o'clock at night or I don't go to bed at all, depends on my desire or my determination to get it done. That's the way I push myself. It means that I get things done within what, a time What scale. defines your determination to get it done? Success. Like, let's Success. say if you have to do, like, the first thing I was thinking about is what you do on times when you feel like not doing it or being like, oh, I, I'm, I feel tired. I might as well go to sleep, but you still have things to do. Like, what, what do you do in those situations? Power, music and power, music and power through every single time. Heavy music. I had that Friday night, Friday, Thursday. Thursday, I stayed. I did an all nighter. I think it was, and Friday as well. I did all nighters. I had three hours sleep for them two days, respectively. Um, so I powered through. It was a case of I, you're gonna get this done because you've invested this much money into it. You've got to get it done, and therefore you will get it done. So what if it's something for- that you haven't invested money in? You're still gonna get it done. I don't know because everything I've wanted to do in that respect, I have invested money into. Everything that I've mentioned previously, the club, training, everything, I've invested money into it because I've invested money in myself and my body. So therefore, that's, my body's an investment. So my body bring, will bring back potential returns. So therefore, I have to train. If you give it some rest during the night. <laughs> well, no, I, give it the appropriate, I give it appropriate rest. I mean... I mean, I, 
you know, I have you know, the PT qualification. I have, obviously, the sport science degree kind of thing to back these up. So I know how much rest the body needs. I can get around. You can kind of mimic around it a little bit. Like, I know that, you know, it's for like a few weeks, my health will dip because university work is required. So I know it'll dip. That's fine. So it's dipped. I'm now out of it as of, you know, Saturday. So I'm now peaking back up, you know, the prep, pre-prepping. So meals. how do you deal with I those like that. down times when your health is like maybe not as good, but you actually need to perform or like stay up later and stuff like that? Like how you how you deal with those times? Because I think many times people just like give in and be like, okay, like whatever, I'm just going to go to sleep. <laughs> Uh, as cliche as it sounds, again, lots of cliches with me. Um, I go to inspiration. I look to when the world was in a very, 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 very difficult place and look to the world lead, some world leaders at the time for inspiration. So as an example, as a true Brit and, you know, a diehard Brit, I guess, uh, I take severe pride in the fact that uh, Winston Churchill helped the United Kingdom, Great Britain at the time, through, the, through World War II. And some of the speeches in there are so relevant for me in regards to my training. Just certain clippings, just certain pieces. Nothing to do with the war, just him stating, you know, we will never surrender, we will never give in. It's kind of, it makes me think, I turn it on myself and think, well, my forefather's, They didn't surrender. They didn't give in. Why should I? Why am I special? You know, they were willing to go and risk everything. They never gave in. They never surrendered. They risked everything for it. I'm here. Oh, what am I giving up? Some sleep. Sleep compared to giving your life, you know, and it makes you think, and I put things into them perspectives, and it's kind of a thing, you know, my grandparents didn't give up. They left their families for six years, five years, six years. They went and risked everything, you know. I'm sure I can, you know, stay up this extra night and get this done. I'm sure I can, you know, put that extra bit of power in these strokes because they would have done the same. That kind of thing. It's that perception of, you know, putting myself in their shoes kind of thing and thinking, you know, my life is absolute bliss compared to what they had. You know? My grandpa was on, a, was on, a, on an aircraft carrier that was sunk. So on a HMS Eagle, I think it was. And he was sunk. He, he got sunk by um, German German vessels. When he was in the water, he could have given up. He could have drowned. I wouldn't be here. But he didn't. Yeah. He swam and kept going. So it's kind of putting myself in other people's shoes, you know, people who haven't given in because they physically can't give in. And drawing inspiration and determination and willpower from their experiences and from them and utilizing it for myself to do the same obviously on a much lower scale. I think that's actually a really good approach because we live in pretty soft society, I believe. Like even even the hardships that people see as now being like hardships. People that were like few generations back, they would be like, like really? Is is that that you see a hardship? Like and they like even with something that would be going on or something would be like, I don't know, getting really bad with like few duration generations back i don't even think they would like complain as much but now like when we actually have less i don't know hardships well 
you can tell it's hardships because everybody goes through different things but in general it is a bit more pleasant lifestyle to live and then when something goes wrong i think people kind of whine and complain more because i don't know just the way lifestyles are but that's that's actually a really good way how to remind yourself like so what are the people that you use as those like i don't know motivators that you go to or yet like you look back at so i use members from my family and i also use significant figures so the significant figure the only significant figure i utilize um realistically is winston so winston churchill but i also use family members so Every generation of my family has been one male who has served before the crown. Every single one. My family, you know, my father, the Falklands, my grandparents, World War II, World War I, so forth, so on and so forth. And the experiences that I get told about, what I'm allowed to hear, I utilise, you know. I utilise the fact that, you know, like I say, my grandpa had his ship sunk, swam for his life, Went, got in a boat, went straight back to UK, England, got on the next carrier, we assigned to the next carrier, went straight back out, determined to sink the ship that had originally sunk his vessel. You know, I think back to, you know, the fact my granddad, my granddad on my dad's side was an RAF pilot. You know, he faced, you know, odds, literally unrealistic proportions in the Battle of Britain but he kept going kind of thing. You know, I draw strength from my father, even though me and my father don't have the best relationship. I draw strength from the fact that my father served in the Falkland Islands. He served in Ireland during, during the latter stages of the Troubles. He served in these two theatres, which were in no way, shape or form pleasant in the slightest at all. You know, I've done my own research. My father has not been allowed to tell me things based on based on security reasons he's not allowed to tell me certain things that happened during that but as a historic as a well i like to class myself as a historian without qualification but as a person who really loves history i've looked into the areas i looked into a lot of history (laughs) yeah it's like it's like i know i know one of the things that my father did do even though he's not allowed to confirm it um my during the falcons a ship, the Atlantic conveyor, was sunk. It was a British ship that was used, and that was carrying um, helicopters for the landing, so that they'd be able to create their own, create a beachhead, and use the helicopters to go across these thirty-something miles of marshland, kind of thing, to go over and get to Port Stanley or the other part, or the other part, everything. And that was sunk. It was destroyed. So straight away, there was a case of you know, well you know troops they're gonna you're gonna have to walk 30 miles over very very rough terrain in the south atlantic there's penguins there that's how cold it is kind of thing you have to go across minefields you're gonna be in the open constantly you're gonna have no air support other than some harriers that are coming across every now and again but you've got to walk over there and then you've got to go straight up to the to you know the likes of mount tumble down or goose green the big mountains where the Argentines were entrenched, you've got to go and face them. You've got to fight. You've got to take, you've got to move forward. Why? You don't know why. Margaret Thatcher and the Queen of England have stated you have to do it, so therefore you do it, no questions asked. So you know, my father was one of the people who 
romped. It's called romping. Who had to romp, walk with a full bergen, full, you know, 50 pounds or so, possibly even heavier, walking across marshland and then not rest and go and fight. You know, I draw strength from that. The fact that that determination, now you talk about discipline and how I, I, I lack discipline massively. That's where the discipline is. The fact that he writes so that. That's what is discipline to you? Like how you define discipline? I discipline, my way of dis- uh, stating for discipline is militaristic. Okay, discipline is, in the military, you have to be disciplined. Otherwise, you get scolded. Simple. Military, the military is revolved around discipline. You're, you have to be here at 700 hours. You're there at 650 hours, 650. You know, you're there 10 minutes before at least. That's the latest. Right? Discipline. If you don't have the correct number of creases in your dress uniform, that's sorry. You, you're getting scolded for that. You're going to go redo it again. That's discipline. Waking up at the exact time that you're told to wake up at and then making your bed to the point where it looks like you've ironed it and making sure everything is spotless, everything you own is spotless and think that's discipline. Not turning and running when someone is literally aiming down a sight at you and prepared to take your life. That's like extreme discipline to do that. That's discipline. Well, that's dis- that's discipline. And now I, I have some massive respect for the armed forces to the point where it's unfathomable. I just I haven't unfortunately been able to serve as of yet. But the whole idea of discipline, that's where I see discipline. I look to the you know the British Army for discipline. That's discipline. That's how I would try. If I was going to be trying to be disciplined with everything, that's my that's kind of benchmark for me. That's it. That's what I aim for. I think so when I do meal preps, when I do training, whenever I think I need some discipline, I look to the military style discipline for kind of guidance towards it. So how are you developing discipline? Slowly but surely, I started it with the absolute basics. I've started, I get up at a set time. And then slowly but surely, I've then started, you know, I have to make the bed straight away afterwards. So I've got to make sure the time is spot on because otherwise I don't have time to do that. And then slowly Wait, so but surely, does it have to be spot on? Like, can you wake up earlier or it's like spot on? I, well, the whole idea of discipline is not so much so in, it's not so much so punctuality it's more you've been given a time that's the time you hit okay for me so i say i wake up at half say i've been i've set myself to wake up at half six every morning that's it i'm waking up at half six every morning no later no earlier um but if i am wanting to wake up even earlier then i set it the next day for five a.m five a.m yeah. on that but discipline is something which will take me quite some time to sort out. And the fact that I race, well, how I race with little to no discipline is quite interesting. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Right. So, okay. What is discipline when it comes to racing? Like, what is the discipline that you're lacking when it comes to racing? Everything. My coaches would say everything. <laughs> okay, be more specific. <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, timing just getting up on camps because you're on training camps we're down south somewhere getting out of the tent in the morning finishing my food at the same time as everybody else that's where my discipline lacks 
the minuscule stuff, the minor stuff. It doesn't lack in the training. The training, I'm at the front. That's where I aim to be. I'm the kind. I'm the kind of person who I want to push myself. I don't want the easy ride. I want to push myself, push myself. So I can't physically do anything. Kind of thing. That's the kind of you know discipline that I have to with that. But otherwise, I don't really have much discipline unless you're talking finances. Finances, I'm extremely disciplined with. But you know, other stuff, not so much. Now, there's a photo of me in my what is it that I had to have as my picture on my um, first time in your racing uniform. You take, get a picture taken. I am that tired. I look like in the picture I'm about to kill um, the, one of the coaches because I'm that tired. In what I'm literally, my face is all over. I'm hot. I'm trying to smile, but I can't find a smile. Kind of thing. And it's been a running joke as well, as well for the year. Like I don't think the problem is discipline. It's just like maybe certain areas, or I think when it comes to like training, it's just like that. Not the training itself, but things outside of training that are still part of training. It might be just like paying attention to like details, or maybe making them more important in your head. Because if it's not important, you just won't act on it. Mm. I agree. I agree. It's also a routine. Yeah. Routine. Is something so for me if I've timed something perfectly and say I get caught in traffic as an example that annoys me because I'm now having to make up that time somewhere which means something has to give which I don't like doing so how you deal with that when that happens music again <laughs> uh, <laughs> when life doesn't go it? according to the plan <laughs> when life doesn't go according to the plan grab bring me the horizon and start playing that quite loud out of your car uh, <laughs> i deal with the music but i also try to make make up that time elsewhere like i see that's time lost and that time lost has to be gained back somewhere so i try to find ways to gain that time back so it might be multitasking so one way that i've multitasked in the past i was late to a training session my own training session i was late to an online one that i was hosting so, but I needed to eat. My tea was ready at the same time my session started. So it was either cold tea or don't run the session. And either way, I was going to lose half an hour. So I was like, right, okay, combine the two. So set my camera up, my camera up. I started doing the training, the training, everything. Every time I said, right, have a water break, I'm there, get a mouthful of food. I'm like, don't look at me, don't look at me. Hold my camera there scoffing that food and then necking some water trying to get down and I'm going back and I'm saying right this is what we're going to do next we're going to do this now I'm going to watch you guys do it so I can pinpoint any areas I need to improve so that I don't have to go back to doing crunches after just wolfing down a full meal because otherwise I'll throw up my clients they don't want to see that yeah. <laughs> I assume they don't anyway <laughs> so it's like you make up time by multitasking yes Okay. I did throughout the day as well. I have another question. Okay. How do you, which is something that I was thinking about in our last conversation, is like, how do you start things? Because you are, all I hear is that you are, every time we have conversation, you have started something new. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> and I know that even for myself, I, I have had many blocks with like starting certain things. But like with you, you're just like, every time it's something different. Oh, I started this, I started this. And I'm like, what? Like, when did you even start this? So like how you approach starting things or like doing something that you 
well that's something new and you don't you can't really maybe predict things or it's not something certain um so i'm assuming you're referring to maybe the golf club side sales side sale bit that's the bit that, that I brought and like even bit. like starting a club or like when you were doing oh, isogenics like there's so many things that you have done so it's not just like one thing the most recent probably is the golf clubs but there's there are many it's not just like one random thing there's like a pattern of you starting things <laughs> a lot of things okay okay um so i have different ways to start in each one so the golf clubs i had to I had no choice but to find uh, financing. I was paying rent here and I was on furlough. Now, I was quite lucky. I was on about four to five different furloughs because I worked that many jobs. Um, so I was getting an income. That was fine. But I just had to quit my job at Beer Keller, come back to Bradford from Liverpool. Um, so I didn't have a regular income. I didn't know how long furlough was going to last. Um, and the way I saw it was my degree wasn't completed. So therefore I could not put my CV. I've got a sports science degree. Da, da, da. So I couldn't apply for jobs regarding that bit. After spending a month trying to find a job uh, that I could do that was full time, that was professional, not professional, it just wasn't happening. And I saw the money going down. I don't spend things unless it's necessary. So I purchased three boats because they're a way of in making income. That's something, another thing which I'll be starting again, which I'll yeah, talk to you about at some point. Um, that's linked in with the club. Uh, so I, uh, I was like, okay, I need some kind of income. I need something. And I was just like, I was thinking, oh, okay, Facebook Marketplace, let's give it a go. Do I have anything I can sell? And I was told, oh, yeah, you can sell these golf clubs. You know, my brother's, he's never used them. Well, he has used them and left them in a the right state. I was like, oh, you can sell them. They weren't any good. Cleaned them up the best they could, just a random method. I didn't learn how to do it. I just let soap, water, clean the golf clubs. They look shiny as new. Right, okay, fair enough. Pull up for sale. I don't know how much to go for. So I did a little bit of research, about five minutes. So I was like, all right, 70 quid, that'll do. Someone came, bang, took them. And the, and the golf trust was like, all right, I've got 70 quid, okay. Now, I could just pocket this and be happy I've got 70 pounds. And that's about what? That's two months, what, two months worth of rent, worth of rent for it? So I was like, all right, could do that. So I had two months, that's two weeks worth of rent. So I was like, I could do that. Or I could reinvest it. So I looked on, looked at the local, there's, golf, there's some golf clubs, a full set of Ram golf clubs that were up at 20 quid. And I bartered him down to 15, bought them, sold them to my mate for 50 quid. Kind of thing. I was like, okay, there's potential here. I've made, you know, I've made another profit. Uh, okay. Uh, let's take this money out. So I bought a few more and made a more profit. So I was like, okay, I'm kind of getting the hang of this now. I know how much these prices are set. So I was like, Let's see if I can't make this a proper thing. So there's a lapse in the um, lockdown. It's like York. So I was like, there's this up recycling, upcycling business up in York. They get loads of golf clubs. They don't know what the heck to do with them. So I can go and pay £70 and take a gamble. And I'll get 20 bags of golf clubs, 100 and something golf clubs or something like that, maybe 200. And a load of golf balls and Charlie's not resting. So I, I'll go get that. So I went over. I threw my miss, threw, threw my missus in the car with me. Emptied everything out the back. Went, grabbed them, came back, and it just started working. It just really started working. Started making a lot of profit. 
but that just grew up out of you know, and I'm at the point now where I'm making about a thousand pounds a week on them, kind of thing. And I'm at the top of the range golf clubs, so that just kind of stemmed out of a you've got to do it. I don't yeah, but like, enjoy it. You, you had an option to pay the rent, but you chose to go a bit like riskier way. So like That's... how you how you decide in that moment? Because I'm business. I like to think of myself as a businessman. I'm business orientated. I'm not money orientated. Money's not the be all and end all, but I am business orientated. Business. What's the difference? Is a... Money orientated is you you see money, you just grab it, regardless of the situation you're in. You know, you see it, you want it, you grab it. Business, it's more about setting up a strategical way to make an income. So the idea in business is to be able to set up a few ventures, business ventures, to the point where you have a steady income that is a residual income that you don't have to do any more work for, and then you can retire to do something you enjoy. So that's where I come in with obviously building up to the houses and getting to the market and eventually having my own rep business. And then I can retire or I can focus on other areas that I want to focus on that I have, you know, cherry picked. So that's kind of my way of differentiating between money orientated and business orientated. Um, when it comes to business, I don't mind spending. When it comes to anything else, I'm stupidly tight with my money. But that kind of business sprouted up from nothing. Other businesses were structured. So um, the club was extremely structured. My God, that was structured. That was a case of, you know, we're, plan- we're planning it. I was planning it. I was looking at routes. I was looking at how can I make money off of this? Is it worth my time? Because I'm putting in all these hours and I'm not getting paid for it. So I was like, okay, is, is it worth me doing this? And it's like, in the short run, it's not. You know, it's, in the short run, I'm spending two hours a night here three hours here two hours here an hour there and all the stuff that goes on in the background i'm not getting paid for it i'm not going to benefit from it but in the long run okay the club will be up and running i'll be a coach and i'll be able to draw an income and i'll be able to get more clientele in for future businesses hence where the other boats come in for this i can then do what's called O one training which is one-on-one training where i can charge for training sessions and i can make money back that way because i've got a base on you know, there's merchandise, there's branding, you know, we on the we can on the right we on the rights for the Sharks logo. Therefore I can chuck it on t-shirts and tops and sell them and make the club money and take a cut. Kind of thing. So there's ways of that. So the business on that side, you know, I turned the club into what is a fun way for people to get into paddling, but it also has that business venture on the side of it. So the club can make money. I can make an income at the same time. Right, so how you decide whether, let's say, you have this new potential business that yeah. you might build and before you get in, what is how you decide whether it's worth it? Because like, as you said at the beginning, like you don't really have much, you don't get much out of it. You just spend your time and you don't even get paid. So how you decide whether that's worth it? Well, there's a few things that weigh it up. So for a start, for a start, I did it with John and Dan. I work for Dan as one of my many, many jobs. Race the Dragon RTD. I work with them. They're events, events company, events company for everything. So I work with them. So he's my boss and he takes care of us. When I say he takes care of us, when uh, we have events down south, he will pay me to travel down in my car. He will buy me food, buy us all a meal, and he will put me up in a hotel whilst I'm down there at no cost. He just covers that. He just 
that's it. And then he'll pay me on top of that. So he looks after me massively. John has always looked after me. John has, you know, really helped me through. Like, there's not, there's not a lot I can say he hasn't done in aid for me. He's helped me in personal and business minded as well. So I'm helping them too. Fav- call it a favour if you want, but it's helping me at the same time. Um, so I do it for that reason. I also do it because, you know, I like rivalry. There's now two clubs here in Bradford. There's two clubs. There's Bradford Barracudas, where I originated and started at, and so did John. And then there's the Yorkshire Sharks. And there's that rivalry, and I love the rivalry. I love being able to turn around and say, we are the best team in Yorkshire, and have facts to back it up. So, well, we, but we, you know, our idea was we were going to go and we were going to beat everybody in Bradford. And we did. We did. We did. We combined with another team called Manvers that, again, they created themselves. Myself and John went and coached them and helped them through it. Boom, came together. And we won, we won things. So that competition side, that also comes into it. So I'm like, okay, so that's another reason why to do it. Training. I get to train. I, you know, I get to go out. I get to paddle. I get to race. I get to do all this kind of stuff. I get to do all this kind of stuff at no charge. I get to do it for free. I can get my racing in there. I can train. I can, that means I can then go and compete for my country. So there's another bonus for it. Not to mention the fact I'm making new friends, new relationships. I've got a new set of friends out of this. You know, I really love the fact that I'm with the club and they are worth it. So there's, there's a multiple things that it ticks the boxes. It ticks boxes of, you know, I'm doing favours for friends who have helped me. So I'm returning the favours. I'm getting some kind of financial in the long run out of it as well with potential to grow it into a big, big business. I'm also creating relationships and friendships with people who are now considered very, very close friends to me who would help me in time where I needed it and vice versa. And obviously I get the physical aspect. I get to actually train, represent, and you know, it gives me great pride to represent that club as well. So that's how I kind of determine for that front. I look okay. at the you know long distance kind of thing. I look deep into the future for it. So pretty much the difference between money focused and business is whether you look in the short term or long term. Yeah. Yeah. It all has benefit for me. It all has the benefit. Yeah. It's how to grow it. Uh, You mentioned returning the favor. Uh, I think it's, it's something that I, I don't know the the reason why I'm mentioning it is because I know that there are many people that just take, 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 and they don't give back. But like, how do favors work for you? If you get some favors, how does it work for you? I'm a person who really annoys people who help me because they will give, they will say, I'm just doing this to help you as a favor. And they'll think nothing of it. To me, that's a debt. Mm. You've helped me. I've not helped you. Therefore, I'm in debt to you. I owe you something. If I can help you in any way, shape or form, let me know and I'll do it kind of thing. Because in my eyes, that brings us back to even. That brings our yeah. friendship back to even kind of thing. So I can never repay certain people's favours that they've done for me because they've helped me through so much or they've helped me through something that's so big that I can't physically pay them back. It's impossible to do that. But I can help. I can go towards it. I can, I can, be, I can sound extremely grateful 
any opportunity where I've got a potential audience, I can make it known that these people help me through these particular struggles. So they are reliable people to go look up, to go see if they, you can aid them or vice versa. I can, you know, if you've got a project going and you've helped me, I'll help you. I'll happily help you. You know, no questions asked. I will, it doesn't matter if it's damaging. It doesn't matter if it's anything. I'll, I'll do it, kind of thing. Mm. If I can use my status at the moment as a representative of Great Britain, heck, I'll use it. I'll put it on there, you know, utilise it the best that an individual can. You know, that's the kind of thing. The way I see it is you go in with favours thinking that you're not going to get anything in return. Nine times out of ten, when you do that, have that mindset, you'll get something in return, kind of thing. You know, I, I cannot remember the saying at all, but it's something about goodwill attracts goodwill or something about, you know, if you're basically good to people, attracts the exact same back you know yeah. so i'm really similar because like in my head i literally have a list of people that have helped me and i know that at some point i want to be able to help them back or like give back in like when they expect it the least so i know that there's like i even have ideas on how i want to pay back to them when i'm able to do that in like my own certain ways but i'm the same where like even if it's the smallest thing that let's say a person tells me one sentence and it helps me to completely change my perspective, I will not forget that. And I'll find a way how to give them back like 10 times for like what they have been like giving me. But like another way how I am starting to perceive it is also not only giving back to them, but also paying forward. So if I learn, learn something from somebody, I will go and be teaching that to somebody else or when I'm doing it, I'll also be like, oh, that's that person that I learned it from. Like, go check them out and stuff like that. Because like, you pretty much become maybe loyal to their lessons and you want to, when, when somebody has helped you so much, you want everybody to know about them. You're like, you have oh, to you. know about these people. <laughs> They're so amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I can't agree more. I really can't. Like loyalty, that is one of, I, you know, my morals, one of my most, biggest uh, moral is loyalty loyalty is extremely high in my book hence the reason why i've stuck by you know friends who have aided me through harsh times things like that i'm loyal to them you know i'm happy to help them in any way shape or form same with coaches you know i've got coaches who i'm extremely loyal to john being one of them john being one of them of course dan being another you know all these people have aided me i'm stupidly loyal just because you know, they've helped me so much that it'd just be a kick in the teeth if I turned around and said, mm, no, kind of thing. That's, that's not me. I can't do that. Loyalty is such a big, big thing to me. And that's, you know, when loyalty is broken, there's nothing really left, in my opinion. So what what is it that breaks loyalty? <sighs> that's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot that breaks loyalty. Where to start? <laughs> uh, well... There's loyalty. Loyalty goes hand in hand with respect. Um, and once you lose one, you lose both. So starting off with that, if you lose respect for in, for an individual, individuals lose, an individual loses respect for you. That's loyalty lost. An individual goes behind your back, kind of thing like that, not to benefit you, but to harm you or disadvantage you. Loyalty is lost. Or benefit themselves. So, well, yeah, benefit themselves as well. Exactly the same. And I know people who have done that, 
I know quite a few people, unfortunately, who have done that across myself, across people I'm close to, and result due to my loyalty to the individual that was crossed, my loyalty was severed to the people that crossed, you know, a very per- good friend of mine. And that's the way it kind of works, you know. I mainly see it in people who are too nice, who can't see a bad bone in people. And it infuriates me sometimes when these people get walked all over and because of their good nature, they just brush it off like it's nothing and they continue trying to... Well, actually, that's one thing that I noticed in myself when I was one... In one New Year's around that time, I sat down and I went over my contacts and I realized that one thing that I had been doing is I would always see the good in the person, but I would notice that I'm not really receiving as much back or maybe they might be even like using me willing willing to help them and things like that. But I didn't notice it until I sat down and I actually looked and went over in those like relationships in my head. And I was like, well, there are so many people that actually pretty much like you are at like equal level with like giving and taking where like for me, it felt natural for like long time, just give, give, give. And that's pretty much normal way of like having like friendships, relationships, whatever, but that's the way it like should be. But then when I actually started to analyze more and look into it, I'm like, whoa, (laughs) this is not really the way it should be. So I think it's, when you're somebody who is like, um, well, even like people pleaser, where you want everybody to feel good and be okay, I think it's really hard to get to that level of awareness that you expect people to treat you in like similar way, or maybe even com- communicate it to them without feeling maybe guilty about it, that you're like being really needy. So I think that's something that many people that might be people pleasers myself including like for me it was really hard to overcome it because I felt like oh my gosh I'm gonna lose all these people now but then I understood like I'm not really gaining much from them anyway so (laughs) what am I actually losing (laughs) exactly so yeah that's something that I've been I think it's even like so with the loyalty how how you how would you explain it building up like trust or like respect how how it works or what even is respect respect is quite a hard thing to determine and it's hard thing to explain very very hard thing you can sense if an individual respects you you can kind of see when people don't respect you you know i mean you see disrespect all the time and you see what's what it is and then on the flip side, you can, you can kind of see from that what respect actually is by looking at what the opposite is. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of disrespect that, like, for, as an I, I like to put examples out there, but as an example, I get disrespected quite a lot in the term of my age. In forms of coaching, I've been a coach since I've been 12 years old, 12, 13 years old. And anytime I've, coach anybody of age who is an adult children teens don't count then they're fine with it adults are absolute manic and mayhem and are guilty as heck for this particular um disrespect that comes that comes about so 
I coach and I know quite a lot about the about what I'm coaching. I'm quite savvy in it. I've got a lot of experience in it. I hold the relevant qualifications in it. But because of my age, I don't get taken seriously in the slightest. And it's not in the way that I, did, that I deliver the coaching sessions at all. Um, it's just in the form of they don't like being spoken to by someone who is half their age. Also, they don't so like how you it. deal with that. I have to deal with it in certain areas, certain places. I have to deal with it in certain manners. So, if, as an example, at my club, if I have it at my club, and you know things are still in the signing pay, uh, points at the minute, so things are still in the signature point. Once signatures are signed, I can move forward and state that if they're being disrespectful, they're out the boat. But currently, it has to be a case of. All right, you know, I, I get it, I get it, but this is what I need you to do. I need you to do this, otherwise you're not going to get better. And I have to phrase it in certain ways that they don't think I'm uh, giving constructive criticism in the way that they think I'm bigging them up and giving them a way to get even better. So I have to feed their ego, which I don't like doing. But when I do individual things, so back when I worked... I think like many times, it's actually with people like that what they really need is for their egos to be broken down i've tried to do that it's not the easiest thing especially when you don't have footing to stand on. <laughs> it's not that it's because i don't have a footing i did not have a footing to stand on so that's the difference between that side and where i'm when i was working at doe park i worked with complete autonomy i was in charge my session my session so long as i followed the rules of the center It was my session. I did what I wanted, kind of thing. As long as it was obviously safe and risk assessed and all the rest of it, I followed whatever whatever I wanted to do. If someone was disrespecting me in there, simple. You get a warning, you go for the standard warning systems. As soon as you reach that final warning, go. Just paddle over there. You sit still in the group, but you're sitting on the side and you're watching the rest of us have fun. And I'll make it a point to switch whatever I was doing and put a game on put a game in that everybody will enjoy so it makes them feel like you know what i'm being treated like a little child now i've had it before i've had full adults where all of them have been fine one of them refused to take to take a you know instruction fine okay continuing through okay now it's getting to the point where it's an issue because it's safety if you're not listening to your instructor i'm in charge of your welfare if you drown whilst out in the water my head It's my head. I'm the one in court for manslaughter. Nobody else. No matter whether you listened or not, I'm in court for manslaughter. So it's it's that kind of cutthroat. It's that strict. So it's a case of, right, you're not listening. Yeah, like not it's, listening a, it's a lot of responsibility. Often. Yes, it's a lot of responsibility. I've had that for a very, very long time. since a very, very young age. So I've become quite accustomed to it. So I'm very much a person who's like, right, okay, fair enough. Bye-bye, off you go. I can't have one water. And, you know, there are adults, they kind of spit, some of them, they will spit their dummy out. They'll be like, oh, well, why can't I? I paid for this. I paid for this. You may have paid for it, but you're here, you're saying, no, I'm not going to do this. When I've given you an instruction, which is health and safety, and you're not saying, you're saying, I'm not going to listen to you as my instructor, instructor, which breaks my risk assessment. My risk assessment is under the, under the uh, assumption that you're going to listen to everything, I, every command I give, no second thoughts, no questions asked. If you're not doing that, you've broken that, that point, which means you have to leave. If you want a refund, go take it up with my manager up at the top who handles accounts. 
No, don't take it on me. I'll happily come and I'll plead my case at the end of this session. I'll plead my case and state, this is what happened. This is what was said. This is what was done. Here's the action that I took. Here's the consequence. Wait, I'll so go how the it. safety works on the in, in your sport? Because like, I have never even thought about it, but like, it is really important. Like the safety part. Um, of it. Well, when I'm coaching in a boat, in a dragon boat, you've got a lot. You've got entrapment. Entrapment's the biggest one. Entrapment, which leads to drowning. Um, these boats weigh, can weigh up to about two tons when fully loaded. Oh. Okay. If you're going along and one of you decide that you don't want to sit right up to the side, you move in, the balance of the weight of the boat shifts, which means the boat goes from being level to being like that off, mm-hmm. which means all it takes is for me to move slightly to one side, the boat goes over, everybody's in. All 22 souls are in the water. That's that's the, that's the thing of it. 22 people are in the water. Now, you've got a million factors. You've got the fact that if you're at a reservoir, the one that I used to work at, you've got an undercurrent. Undercurrent can drag you, can drag you under. Simple. That's it. We ain't seen you for a day kind of thing. You, you're dead. Oh. The next one, the next one is cold water shock. Cold water shock induces people to paddle frantically and that's how people drown. Obviously, people, we've got buoyancy aids on, but it is possible in buoyancy aids, you know, to get your head under the water sometimes. Right, what is that? A buoyancy aid. So you've got two kinds of flotation device. You've got a buoyancy aid and a life jacket. A life jacket mm-hmm. puts you on your back yeah. like that. A buoyancy aid holds you up like that. So your head is oh, at okay. the highest point away from the water. But, you know, there's there's potential for things to go wrong. There always is. That's why we have risk assessments, because we're not blind to the fact that things could go wrong. Um, so you have all this kind of thing going in about it. Then you've got to look at the entrapment. Entrapment is drowning. If the boat turtles and someone's underneath that boat, the only way for them to get out is for me to either tip the boat over, which is heavy because it's got a suction underneath it, of them to go under the water and back up, at which point they could hit the head, they could get tangled, there's rope involved. Wait, so how, rope how deep is the water when, you, when you're rowing? Uh, it, can, it varies massively. So Doe Park Reservoir, I cannot remember. We went through how deep it was, but it's very, very deep. But it's, it, it's deep enough for you to uh, drown in very easily. And the, the water is that murky that, yeah very very deep put it that way we've sunk a boat a full masted boat down there and yeah. with it with the mast sticking up and we've still never seen the mast even when the water that is lowest so it's quite deep the canal is different the canal you can stand up in but the canal opens up a new risk assessment the fact that it's clay and with water and wet clay you can get your foot stuck if you get your foot stuck it forms a suction and it holds you in there you'd be able to see you but your nose would be under the water just about i think so again, there's lots of risk assessments to it. To it. And as a result, if people don't listen, we go in the water. And if we go in the water, then again, I've got unhappy people as well. Because whenever I take my crew out, I'm being some, under the assumption, and they're under the assumption that they ain't going to get wet. So they take their phones with them, the keys with them, because we don't have facilities. So they've got phones with them, they've got keys with them, they've got wallets with them, got everything in their pockets, because you don't want to leave it anyone bank. They will then go over. And that's ruined. You know, if you've got brand new iPhone, whatever it is, you know, it's about thousand pounds, something like that. Thousand pounds gone. If you've got an electric car key, you don't have the actual key that slides out. Your car isn't going to work for a while. You know, you've got to think of the bigger picture with these things. 
So like when when the boat is over, is there any certain actions you have to take or like people can be trained to take once it happens? There is unfortunately tons that I uh, tons of things. Uh, excuse me whilst I'm moving. My phone's on four percent, so I'm trying to get to the nearest <laughs> chair, which is under my bed. Um, I'll put you there, facing the lovely. I don't know what you're facing. Golf skylight. Golf club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> golf club. Um. So yes. Um. What was that? Yes, there's a mass procedure to follow, like very, very intricate procedure to follow. Um, that if a person, if an individual does not follow it, and people obviously you know get hurt or harmed, then you end up in court, and yeah. you will be charged with manslaughter and potentially murder. Oh. That's the kind of extent of it. People die in no matter what the regulations are, no matter what the safety measures are, but the safety measures they are there to make make it so it's less likely for you to right. So like when you when you let's say when you instruct them on like what to do when that happens, like how do you how do you instruct people? You don't tell them that they're going to die first time. No, no, no. Like if if the boat is falling over, like you know how oh. in airports, in like planes, oh, they talk yeah. about it. Okay, yeah. So I've got a safety plan. Of course I've got a safety plan. Yeah, I have to. By law, I must have a safety plan. So I have a safety plan. It's quite, I think it's a good safety plan anyway. Please stand up. There you go. You balance on the iPhone wire. Um. So yes, um, I have to come up with a lovely, luckily you get a script. So when you do a coaching qualification, you get a script to follow and you can interpret that script however you like. So I always go through the safety stuff. So I tell them, first things we do is, is buoyancy checks. I need to check the buoyancy. That you're not going to slip through your buoyancy just in case. So I've checked the buoyancy and I've checked for injuries. If anybody has any medical issues that I need to know about or be made aware about. That is before they uh, do anything. That's before we've even done a warm-up. They then go and do the warm-up. Whilst they're doing the warm-up, that's being led by one of my um, captains or vice-captains. I'm checking the boat over. I'm making sure there's no gouges in the boat. It's not going to f- fall in half or anything else like that. I'm checking that. I'm checking the waterway. So I'm checking the canal. I'm making sure there's no major debris in the way, which is going to cause harm to myself or my paddlers. So I'm going through that kind of stuff. Then once we're, once we're in the boat, once we're not in the boat, so once we're lined up, we're lined up like we're in the boat. So we're stood on dry land, but we're in pairs all the way through. So I then show them the different strokes. So it's forwards, backwards, how to stop the boat, how to brace the boat, how to make so it basically makes the boat bigger just in case we catch some waves or I need to stop the boat. Okay. Then we go over the two different safety rulings. So there's the numbers system and the buddy system. The number system is we start from the front left and it goes one. Uh, one person is one number. So it goes one. So one, two, three, four, five, six, all the way back to me. And I'm the final number, which is usually going to be 22 on a full on a full boat. We also have the buddy system. So you look to the person next to you and you're in charge of that person kind of thing. The boat goes over. We go through numbers. We, either can, we can either go through numbers 
or we can find the buddies. The first thing we do is we go through numbers. So I, in, in order, nice and loud, I can hear one, two, three, five. I know number four is missing. Number four is to the front of the boat. I'm heading straight to the front of the boat. I'm going there as quickly as I can. I'm checking underneath the boat quickly. I'm checking around me and that's kind of thing. So I explain to them the buddy system, explain to that. We go in and we joke around about, you know, if the boat goes in, but it's not likely to, this is what happens. Kind of thing. And that's the way to do it. So it takes away their fear because quite a lot of them will be a bit on the nervous side as well. But there is a lot of safety around it. So much safety surrounding this, especially this sport, because of how much stuff's involved. You've got rope, you've got loose equipment, you've got a heavy, heavy boat, you've got lots of bodies in the water. So there's tons and tons of drones to save. So how cold how cold is the water? It varies from place to place. When I raced in Thailand, it was absolutely beautifully warm as the water. I could have sat in it. It was a jacuzzi, like a jacuzzi. It was beautiful. 40, just shy of 40 degree heat kind of thing. You're like, ah, oh, lovely. But the heat was really hot. And obviously, as I'm not well, I'm a mixture of blonde and ginger. No, I don't perform. I shouldn't perform well in the sun, but I do, surprisingly. Um, so that kind of body of water is warm. But then you go to like Sando Park, a reservoir, freezing. Absolutely freezing. To me, it's fine. I've been thrown in that water since I was 12 years old. So my body has acclimatized to this. Other people will go through cold water shock or won't know how to handle it. So it's like extremely it, cold. How you know if somebody is like, is it, can water be too cold for somebody to get in and you're like, okay, you're not going to get in or like how, how you decide whether... The aim is for nobody to go in the water because for the for them to end up in the water means the boat's tipped over. So we're never ever going. Well, yeah, like in case if like oh, thinking I, I of safety side of it. Even when it's frozen, even when it's frozen, I go in the water. You go in the water, but what if you? What is it like when you I'll when you are like on. training or stuff like that? I've, I've been on the water in frozen water before with the full crew. Uh, just again it's all about balancing if I know I'm there with an, you can it's down to the coach and that the coach's discretion so a coach can make the call if the water's too cold they deem it too cold and the risk of them going in is moderate to high you call it yeah we ain't going out you know if it's a thunderstorm and thunder and lightning we ain't going out okay but If the water's freezing, but you've got experienced crew with experienced helm, it's like, right, okay, so the water's cold, but I have experience in this boat. I can balance the boat out so it's perfect. I'm a good helm. I've got good coaches, good response with the crew, good rapport. I believe this crew is not going to go in the water. So we can go out. Obviously, I will want to keep it at a shorter session and high intensity because your hand, your outboard hand goes in the water. And that will get cold very quickly. Yeah. So I need the intensity nice and high, get the warmth going through, the blood pumping through the body, so nice and warm. And then obviously when we come off, we straight away, you know, towels around you, you know, nice and warm kind of thing. But nine times out of ten, I've not actually had to make a call like that regarding dragon boating or any form of paddling at all no twice twice i've had to make that call it was both of them due to thunder and lightning and both of them were based at Doe park and that's the only time i've ever had to call it and say you know I'm, i do not feel 
it's safe for me to take my uh, students out. How are you trained during the winter? Or like if there's, if the water is like frozen? Personally, because my club hasn't trained during the winter. Not many clubs train during the winter up north. Down south, it's different. Up north, it's a bit difficult. You know, a lot of teams will die harder and they'll just wrap up nice and warm and they'll go out. So any paddling is good paddling, so long as it's, you know, the right technique. It doesn't have to be, you know, getting drenched, you know. But I personally, along with a few other people, will go out by myself. <clears throat> I, like I say, I've been out on frozen water before. I don't mind it. I'm used to the cold. Growing up where I grew up on the mountain of, on the mountain of Queensbury, growing up, you know, every single day of the summer, quite a bit of the time through winter, work at Doe Park, being in the water, being on the ice and breaking the ice, you know, I'm kind of used to it. Like I still recall a time when both myself and some other um, people who were working at the centre at Doe Park, we went out in canoes with paddles and smashed the ice so we could get the speedboat on so the speedboat could go around and break up all the ice kind of thing. I still remember doing that kind of thing. You know, I've been in caving water as well, which is obviously extremely cold. And I'm quite stupid in the form that when I go in water, I don't wear a wetsuit. That me doing that over the years has made it so I kind of climatise. Now, I'm not saying I'll go swimming in the North Sea without a wetsuit because that is just stupid. But I've been in cave water before at Ingleborough without a wetsuit. When I used to work, when I work at the park, I don't wear a wetsuit. I wear a rash vest and some shorts. And I'm and that's me in the water all the time, kind of thing. How cold is the water? I don't know an actual temperature, but I know it's quite low. For water, it's quite low. It's not it freezes during the winter sometimes, but it's not ever warm. I promise you that. After all the years I've worked in Dope at Dobar. It's never been extremely warm water. Even when the sun was 20 degrees over here, when we hit that, the highest we've ever had, the water was still cold. In fact, it yeah. made it colder, if anything. So you're the Iceman? No, I, I can't say that. I, do not hold, I can't hold that title. There is people who uh, go swimming in actual frozen water, who actually go open water swimming. They've got to places like Antarctica, not Antarctica, sorry, um, <clears throat> Alaska, cut a hole in the ice, a big rectangle, you might have seen it on Facebook, and they'll go swimming, in swimming trunks. Okay, yeah. That They're, they're <laughs> the ice men and women. I'm not on that level. <laughs> well, not yet, maybe. Well, you haven't really I trained for that level that. or been on that level, so you can't know if you're on that level yet, if you haven't tried well, it. So. I won't be trying it. That's the one sport <laughs> I will not try. Ice swimming. No. No, thank you. <laughs> so, like, what is what is your, like, next steps now? Like, you're finishing off uni at last. So, like, what are, what are the next things that, like, you are looking towards or working towards? So, I've got quite a few. Quite a few. I've got a lot of projects <laughs> that I'm okay, of course. <laughs> I can't just focus on one thing. I've got to have a million things. My uh, partner, she tells me I spread myself too thin. I'm starting to believe her. Um, so you believe well, it at last? <laughs> yeah, I'm believing it, yeah. Um, so I have sporting, sporting goal, business goal, financial goal, 
and life goal kind of thing. I think that's four. Yeah. Uh, so starting off with the sporting one, I'm working now towards the Olympics. The sport. Which that ones? Well, it's going to be a while. The sport which I partake in was going to be a showpiece at Tokyo. It was going to be China versus Japan, which is the biggest mismatch on the planet, if you ask me. China are the world record holders in the sport, and Japan, had, I've never, I've not seen Japan power level. So I can't say they're good or bad, but I don't think they're ranked very highly. So that would be literally uh, men and women against the boys and the girls, basically. Um, so I'm aiming for the Olympics because hope the aim was that after Tokyo, the spy racing will be made an Olympic spot. There is many, many debates going on about it, but as it, the spot I'm in is drawing more and more crowds, it's getting more Wait, and more so popular. Wait, so why isn't the it demand. the Olympic sport? Because you, the way the Olympics works is you can't add a sport. You have to take another one out. And it can't be just any sport. So for dragon boat racing to go in, kayaking or rowing or canoeing would have to be retracted. Oh. One of them would have and the UK is one of the most, one of the countries which is blocking that movement because the UK's top sports, ironically, are rowing, canoeing, and kayaking. Now, we, the UK, win Britain, sorry, Great Britain, sorry, win rowing events quite often. I'm not too sure about the kayaking. I know we used to do very well at kayaking. I used to know one of the GB paddlers for slalom. Uh, canoeing were also pretty decent as well. So we're reluctant to give up that to allow Dragon Boy coming in where the UK, where Team GB is not dominant. Team GB is, you know, averaging top five, top ten in the world. It's not, you know, averaging top three like rowing is or top five like canoeing is. So I can understand the reluctancy. But they're trying to make sport an Olympic sport. It is moving forward. It has been moving forward for a few years now. So I, I estimate in the next four to eight years, it'll be made an Olympic sport. That's my goal. That's what I'm working towards. I would love to partake in the Olympics. That is a dream of mine. If I can't do it with Dragon Bone, I will switch sports again. Uh, and Which I will, I will go into rowing. I will train up into rowing. I've rowed before. So what's, what's the I, difference between them? Ooh, a lot, <laughs> a lot. Uh, start, start off. You can start off wherever you want, but there's massive differences. Like the boat size, shape, weight, uh, the amount of participants, how you're seated, the actual kind of oars as well. So, dragon boat paddle is this. The dragon boat paddle. Okay. A rowing oar is. Um, a really, really long carbon, really, really long carbon fiber paddle, which you row out here like that. So you start here. Oh yeah, makes sense. Like, oh, like that. you push the chest through. It's why quite a lot of quite a lot of them have large chests and backs because they're really dominating that area. Whereas myself for here, I'm in that position. That's where oh, I yeah, am. So I've got I've got quite really strong back, shoulders, and forearms because I'm used to pulling through like that. So the differences between the two. There's plenty of differences, but they're the key ones. So I might retrain into that at some point. I still continue with dragon boat racing, of course, because I really do. I, I do enjoy it. It's not, I won't lie, it's not my favourite sport on the planet. But Which it's one up is? there. Rugby. Okay. 
rugby. I would have loved to continue playing rugby and I'm getting back into rugby. I have dreams within each category. So within what sports, it's the Olympics. Within rugby, you know, every every youngster that grew up watching rugby or wanted to play rugby dreamed of representing their nation. I dream of I've dreamed of representing, you know, England in sevens. I'm a quick I'm a quick and fast player. I'm low to light on my feet. I've got good handling and good ball control, but my tackling needs work. But so, you know, dreams setting realistic goals. You know, I'm 23 now. So if I was going to make it into the sevens team for England, I would look to be getting there in the next year or two. So that's quite a tall order for me. But we'll see what we can do. Um, so that's kind of sporting way. Business, businesses. So, you know, my next goal is I'm utilizing the side businesses and my current employment to get my life goal right now, which is a property, my own property, where I can live with my partner and, you know, I can start building a foundation there. And the long run of that is using them to them to um, points of finance that are coming in to then buy another property elsewhere to then rent out so I get a residual income. And then that can fund you know other things that can then allow me to you know keep building and building building with the aim of being in my 30s with the option to retire um i have um so that's you know life goal sport goal business goal what's the other goal that i said i don't remember i'm not trying I to remember <laughs> i've got that many it's unbelievable <laughs> um I, I, that was it that was it uh academic Oh, so yeah. goal, the goal is if I can utilize my degree, go uh, brilliant. If I can get, depending on what job I want outside, it depends. Because at the minute I am, I was, I got through to the final stage of the fire service in West Yorkshire. Um, I'd like to go again for that. I'd love to be able to be a firefighter. I believe massively in what they do and everything that they uphold, all the values. If I'm unable to go through that and I miss out, then I may go back to university and do a physician's associate's degree so that I can get into forms of cardiology so I can start, you know, playing around with hearts a bit. I quite like the heart. So, you know, it's probably not the most scientific way of saying playing around with the heart, but you know what I mean, <laughs> that kind of thing. So, you know, they're my kind of goals going for. Going so with the firefighters, how, how do they select people? Oh, it's a very lengthy course. Uh, <laughs> Very, very, very thorough. <laughs> um, uh, so it starts with it starts with standard. You know, you just you get to ask. You know, what do you do on a daily basis? You know, do you do in sport? Do you know, that kind of little tiny bit. Boom! You send that off. They accept. You, they accept. Right. Next bit. You start doing um, these things like, what do you agree with these statements? Kind of thing. Individuals, and you get marked. And if you score horribly, you don't go through. If you score well, you go through to the next one. So start cutting people off from there. Then you've got a mathematics examination. That this year was done online based due to the fact that it was obviously COVID measures. Do you know like why they do mathematics? It's uh, to do with, because obviously with ladders, you've got to actually do Pythagoras' theorem. I never oh, thought yeah. I'd say the day where <laughs> I would actually need to use Pythagoras' theorem But yes, you have to use it for the fire service. Uh, for how far away from the from you know from the house do you put the ladder? 
yeah, how tall sense. you put the ladder. Yeah. To be able to put all that kind of stuff, you know. So there's that, and obviously Fiat counts which which ladder do you use for which house? You know, if a house is thirty three meters tall or something like that, do you use a fifteen, a ten meter, fifteen meter, or twenty meter kind of thing? You know, go through that. So they've got that. They've also got a reading comprehension examination, of which if you don't do well enough in both of them, you don't pass them or anything, you're gone straight away. Uh, then you've got your physical. Your physical is quite interesting. Um, I saw people fail on the easiest things just because of they didn't listen. One of them to do with was to climb a ladder within a specific amount of time. This person would got up the ladder within enough time, but it didn't go as it didn't go high enough. Hmm. And you know, he didn't listen. They looked down below to say, "Hey, we're finished." He went, "No, no, no, keep going." So he went one more ladder, and then looked down. Is that enough? No, no. One more. You've got to get that foot on that step. So then he did it, and he had he got sent home there and then because he finished one second over the time that was demanded. You had fourteen seconds, I believe it was, to get up to the top or something like that, and he finished a second later. So and that was the very first thing that we did. He was meant to be there for the whole day. He was told, "Nope, you failed one. You failed one. You go home. You're done." Kind of thing. So the group got smaller and smaller as we went. Uh, there was some there that were really, really easy, and then there was some there which were just you could not prepare for at all. You had a gas mask, one of them you had a gas mask put on, and a, what is it, a uh, oxygen tank put yeah. on, you had your gas mask, and everything. You're blindfolded in a pitch black room, blindfolded, and you've got to go through this like ratway, causeway kind of thing that's all steel cages, and it's about that wide, just a bit wider than your shoulders. You've got to go up, down, through little trap doors, things you've got to collect something, pick it up and come back in a time frame and you can't see and for me that was I quite enjoyed it but I got excuse that it, pardon my French I got hell for leather with everything so I went into there thinking I've got to go as quick as I can so I'm on metal with no knee pads on just fire pants and I'm whacking my knees on everything my arms on everything because you can't see so you're using your arms as antennas so I'm whacking my wrist, my elbow, everything off of all these pieces of metal in there. So I came out battered and bruised. It was fun though, <laughs> but I got battered and bruised. <laughs> um, so yeah, you got all sorts. You got all sorts. That's the most daunting one. But that's the process. Then you've got the um, interviews. The interview stages. It was unfortunately where I didn't make the grade. They don't look into age, gender. Re- uh, they don't look into your physicality either. They assume you're fine because you passed the tests. They don't look at you. They don't take into account any degrees, qualifications, nothing. It's a behavioural test that they do. So it's a, how would you do this? What would you do in here? What would you do in that? And it's quite vague. It's very much open to interpretation. I must have misinterpreted parts of it, and hence the reason why I obviously didn't get through. But, you know, there's cause for me to go back to, you know, Say I made it all the way through to the interview stage, just didn't quite get there. Did that? Here I am again. You know, so I go Is through the interview that the last bomb. part. Yes. Then you go and do a large training course of like I think it was thirteen weeks or something like that. And then you're a firefighter. So, and you're a firefighter, yeah. Then you're on two years worth of uh, probation where you know they're keeping an eye on you after that you're a full-time firefighter you can't get sacked on the spot like that unless you do something severely bad massively bad 
but you know that's kind of what it's like so that that so is I mean, like if you don't if you don't do this then you go into academics yeah you play with hearts i'll play with hearts yes i go into this thing like i would like a highly paid job so it allows me to move forward with my careers very very quickly at the minute i do not have a highly paid job i am a forklift driver while studying i'm extremely grateful that i am a forklift driver at the moment because i managed to work through the latter half of the pandemic whilst other people were struggling unfortunately so i cannot complain but obviously i have quite large expectations goals and dreams so for them to work i need a larger income as the vast majority of my savings and everything else will be spent on a house hopefully in the next two to three months well two months hopefully yeah but like you're pretty well i don't know as much as you say you are not disciplined or uh your time management is off you're really good at like planning stuff i think and executing so um if you're trying to say you're not then we'll have another discussion only <laughs> only, only in i'm only actually i'm only disciplined in the build the bulk of things you know it's the getting up it's the the other things you know it's that kind of stuff that i'm really, really bad at going to sleep at the right time my god that's a big one I think you are disciplined in things that many people want to be disciplined in. I will I'll happily trade with them, you know. They're disciplined <laughs> in going to sleep and waking up on time and all the rest of it. I'm not disciplined in them ones. Yeah, they help me, I'll help them, you know. Yeah, so like that's that's just the way it works. Alrighty, so this has been interesting. <laughs> We have covered so many things, so so yeah. Well, thank you for topics. coming and for all the time you put in this conversation <laughs> i don't know i don't i don't have a working clock name that's good <laughs> so I have, I, my clock is stuck on five to six here and my other one is stuck on yeah it's, it's almost nine so oh wow <laughs> <laughs> well then so yeah oh, that's gonna be interesting for me to cook yeah exactly. i've got a little bit of training bit so, of training yeah. left to do things Thank you for coming and thank you for patience at the beginning. So oh, hopefully no, I get pleasure. you on another time in future when you will have a lot of new things. So. Well, I'm more than I'm more than happy to you know come on any kind of a podcast and ask answer any questions. And if you know if any of your viewers have any questions on how to kickstart businesses kickstart clubs or anything else like that i'm more than happy to help them through yourself yeah i'm gonna leave your social media behind i usually do that so they'll be able to find you and ask you questions as well personally so i'm more than ha- more than happy to if i can help if i deserve, if i can help other people learn from my mistakes <laughs> then i'm more than happy to because god knows i've made enough of, enough mistakes in my time jeez you have enough mistakes for other people as well so <laughs> yeah but i'm still making them but it's how you learn from the mistakes that counts isn't it yeah exactly so so yeah hopefully see you another time hopefully i will uh, be passing this uh you, this document on to quite a fair few people as well so let me know when it's uploaded all righty <laughs> <laughs>